Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by my panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello. panel. Hello. Joining us today, it's Greg. Hello, there. David. Human, play Dom Chat. Axel. Hello, everybody. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And uh, making his triumphant return. That's right. Big Hollywood star. You you know him from movies such as Marvel's Thor, from the Oscar winning Everything Everywhere All at Once, voices from some of your favorite cartoons, DW. Hi, everybody. It's going to be back and I hope it lasts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hope it lasts too. Uh, yeah, DW finally able to come back and join us because the the actor strike is has been lifted for the yep. time being. We are suspended pending the ratification of the new contract. How's it looking? Uh, I'm still waiting to see. Uh, it, it is. It, it, <laughs> we, we're voting between now and the first week of December. Um, voting has already begun. However, we only had a summary and there are a lot of people that are withholding their vote till they see, read the full MOA, which is, uh, the full agreement. We've never had that, uh, in recent history with SAG. Uh, we've usually just voted on the summary. Um, and by the way, just to clarify, I do not speak on behalf of SAG. I am absolutely just a member, not a speaking member of the like staff or board or anything. Um, but we, uh, this time there's the language is so important that there are a lot of people that really want to read the MOA. So they've been rushing to get it all, all the T's crossed and lowercase J's dotted so that they can, uh, get it to us. Hopefully I think they're trying by mid this week, this coming week. Um, so we can maybe by Thanksgiving have 130 pages to pour over instead of the 18 page summary. Um, but there are a lot of people that are going to base their vote on exactly what the wording is. So we'll see what happens. Wow, this has been luck. Inside Baseball, brought to you by Watch Party Wheel of Time. <laughs> uh, DW, before we started up, you were telling us about the, the latest thing that you were working on. What the? Oh, uh, yeah. Now on Crunchyroll, you can catch the newest dub of Roroni Kenshin, which is a, a wonderful full circle for me and the fact that uh, Rurouni Kenshin was an anime I watched ages ago that I identified with the main character so much. Literally, when I was watching it, I was a 27-year-old pacifist. The main character is a 27-year-old pacifist um, who had a violent history. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really related to the show. I really loved the show, the themes, the way it was done, and to have been invited back to play the, I guess, mob boss... Uh, politician with some some goons um tawny uh in episode six i also have some voices in other episodes and uh would be happy to go back and do more loving the the new take i mean the original is probably uh, the one that i watched growing up which is was released at the same time same animation two different attempts at dubbing and one of the attempts is clearly better um and <laughs> not that i'm opinionated um no, but yeah so I got to close the loop and do voices. I got to do voices on the uh, live action version of Rurouni Kenshin, the final and the beginning, which are also on Netflix. And I highly recommend those cinematically beautiful. But yeah, so Rurouni Kenshin is, has gone from being an influence of mine to something I've actually worked on. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. 
So DW, now that the strike is over, you can you can be truthful with us. Um, were you in Prague at any point last year? <laughs> that was the first message I got from Ruark. It shows there, like, I know you wouldn't have been able to keep this secret, so I know it's not you, but is it you? <laughs> no, I was not in Prague at any time. I would have loved to have gone and shot this. But yes, I probably would have had to disappear for a while. Uh, for if, if you don't know what we're on about, uh, DW and and uh, the sea captain Bale Doman from the show or Doman Bale Bale Doman yeah whichever way it goes, uh, they are spitting images of each other. Yes, uh, I'm I'm looking at DW right now and yeah he, he looks very much like Bale Doman. I, from the I show. have new cosplay. We'll find out what uh, wheelies figure it out when I show up someplace dressed as him. <laughs> <laughs> and and I have to say, knowing you is not just the the facial you know you you look very similar facially but he also has a carriage very similar <laughs> to yours he, he the the way he moves the way he he interacts is very similar to what i've seen i will you admit do. that i didn't see it as clearly as you did in that first scene but when he's shopping in the in the like i was like oh yeah that does kind of move like me <laughs> <laughs> shopping yeah he was shopping <laughs> he's getting all that money he got for his trip <laughs> Uh, DW, who is who is your favorite new character of this season? Since we haven't gotten to hear, hear from you about this Ooh, new season at all yet, favorite new character. There's so many delicious ones. Um, or or amongst your yeah. favorites, how about we put well, it that I way? Mean, Bale, I have a feeling we're gonna get more of. I don't know if the books has more of them. I don't know if the show is just gonna plug him in in random places, even if he wasn't in the books. Like they've they've seeded him so many times that it's like, okay, he's not going away. That's a character that's gonna come back. I can tell you that in the books, he's a recurring character through the entire series. So, so yeah, hopefully he'll be returning for, for a while. I have a feeling. Yeah. I love, I love that. Um, and of course I'm now going to have name blankings. One of the, one of the things I've been dreading about this show is the fact that while I was watching it, I had a whole bunch of things like, Oh, I would love to be on the show this weekend and talk about that. But I didn't take notes. And then I was driving between <laughs> gigs and I had a four hour drive on weekends and I would listen to the podcast, your guys' most recent episode, and I would talk back with the thing. And there were things that are, there was something and I don't remember what it was. There was something you guys talked about where you got into the actual Hollywood aspect of it and the filming and how it might have been. And I'm like, oh, you guys are right on the right track. And I would just add this and this and on. And I'm talking back to the, to the stereo on the car and I didn't write any of it down and I don't remember what it was. Um, but, uh, our introduction of our newest Forsaken, um, I thought was beautifully done. Uh, I, there, I, I don't know if in the first viewing that I saw what she was going to turn into or would turn out to be, but I definitely started picking up the clues as the story moved along that like, this is not what it seems. There is more here. Something and then it was the beginning of the episode that I put together when, when the first drops out and the hair is down. I'm like, oh, that's her. Okay, got it. So yeah, Lamphere is a beautiful uh, archetype. I, I love the concept of a villain who is in it for their own good, which is actually so much more accurate in a real sense to me than some of the villains that get put in stories that are just like, I'm evil for evil's sake, and evil is my bloodline, and I will always be evil for no reason other than to be evil. But to see a person who's got their own reasoning, the reason she joined 
the side was because of what the dragon did to her. And like watching her kind of play that back and forth. And even you guys talked about it in the, in the podcast, but um, the whole concept of, look, uh, I'm going to betray you. That's what we do. We'd betray each other. Like you're asking if I'm going to betray you, you know, the answer, come on. But then by the end, we find out that absolutely he knew she was going to betray him and like set it up so that it would not work in her favor. I mean, it was some of the machinations of the the evil side of the show this time around. The Sean Chan's introduction was phenomenal and interesting and seeing a different uh, societal setup. But then knowing that they are they have fought over that landmass so many times back and forth that literally both sides are kind of like, yeah, we don't care. You're going to take it this time. We'll take it back in about a year or two. You know, like that was an interesting dynamic that they were this, uh, like almost legendary presence that comes in and conquers every once in a while. And then the other side comes in and pushes them back out overseas to where we don't know. And now I want to go have the whole show take us overseas and see their areas. Yeah. I would love to know more about how, the Shan Chen society is structured because it's obviously like they talk about the Empress, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is the one who, who saw the prophecies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she probably won't. It, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's interesting to realize that the Aiel had a legend that led to the dragon. And if legends, you know, in a lot of stories, if something's legend, it's usually worldwide. It's usually like, like, or this, these people have this aspect of the legend, but these people have this aspect and look, they, they overlap. And that's why as soon as they were talking about their, you know, leader of leaders, I was like, oh yeah, it's, that's going to be the dragon. I, I, it's going to overlap. But now I wonder what the Sean Chan's legends are of the dragon. Do they have anything that either treats him as a villain, treats him as a hero, treat like, what is the coming of the dragon in their foretellings? And uh, I think that would be interesting. And Ruark is biting their lip. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I am... Literally. Literally. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to decide how much is okay to tell you. And I think I'll just, I'll just not tell okay, you anything I'm fine at with this that. moment. I'm, you know me. Yeah. I'm fine with the finding out yeah. of the show. Um, but... Now you guys have me picturing Empress Giorgio from Discovery, the gold and everything. And <laughs> oh, with long nails. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a dream casting right there, I'm guessing. That would be amazing. Well, DW, you you know her because you were in Everything Everywhere oh, All at Once with her, besties right? Now. But, yeah, you, besties now. Yeah, we, besties. We, yeah, we yeah. send each other memes on the phone. Yeah. Well, since you've now been in in uh, Wheel of Time, you can get her. In, in For the record, I actually was in Everything Everywhere All at Once. I did a stunt and I did some background work. No major roles. I was not actually in Wheel of Time. For anybody trying to keep track of the record, <laughs> I'm not making any claim that I was in Wheel of Time. <laughs> but you are available. <laughs> yeah. Should the right role come along. Un- until I see pictures of you and that actor in the same I room. I will tell you that doesn't work because there's a guy uh, who is the host of Destination Truth that a lot of people have decided I look amazing and sound amazingly like. We have met each other. I don't believe he thinks that we look anything alike. Josh Gates is his name. Um, and uh, so we we took a picture next to each other to silence friends of mine 
who would send me messages asking me where we were going on Destination Truth this time around. Um, and, or Expedition Unknown was the other show he was he has. Um, but yeah, I, it, the picture was called for Photoshop and all sorts of other things. So I have a feeling you would treat me similarly. No, you showed me a picture of him one time and I was just like, oh yeah, that's you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I actually cosplayed at him at a con. To kind of prove the point, I like got one of his outfits down to the T, down to his necklace, everything. Walked around the con. Nobody said anything. I spent the rest of the day going, see, I don't look anything like this guy. And then I'm waiting in line to pick up my stuff to leave. And some guy turns around and goes, Josh Gates, right? I went, oh, okay. Somebody recognized it. One. I'll give them the credit for one person. He turned, I love your show. And did it, I'm like, oh, you actually... Okay, well, that, that, that's a little more credit than you just realized I'm cosplaying him. You actually think I'm him. <laughs> nice to meet you. I'm going to go this way now. <laughs> I, I, I think he just proved your friends correct. I, again, yeah. one out of the thousands? Yeah, but I mean, really, how famous is this guy? I, mean, I had to look him I, up. I, I, I only know of him because I of you. That. So, yeah. <laughs> and and also like celebrities don't get re people you know people celebrities often don't get recognized as who they are because people don't believe that that's actually them. <laughs> right. I I have stood right next to um, Matt Damon at a beer can once and didn't know it was him. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if I remember rightly, Christopher Reeve once lost a Christopher Reeve lookalike costume. <laughs> for not looking yeah. as much like Christopher Reeve as other people. So, you know, like the fact that you get recognized like that says a lot, <laughs> I think. And it happens to voice actors all the time. The, the amount of times I know the voice of Bart Simpson has walked around and done the voice at somebody and like, eh, I know people could do it better. Like, no, no, they can't. Like, that's <laughs> the voice of, no, you aren't. No, you aren't. I mean, it's good. Been doing work it for on 30 it. Thirty plus years. <laughs> <laughs> so, DW, who we were talking about this in the last episode with with uh, Saima, uh, who do you think got the biggest glow up this season? I I gotta go with my boy Matt. I think yeah. I think his arc. It was the one that touched me most. Uh, it was the one I related to most. It was the one that watching somebody like. I know that Egwin got a, a, a huge arc and went through some horrible, horrible storylines. Um, and, and I think that they gave her a beautiful saving herself aspect to it that I thought was definitely deserved, earned, fit within the story, everything. Um, the only reason why I go with Matt on this is more, I know Matt's story personally, whereas Egwin... I know of people who've gone through horrible situations and I don't directly relate to that. Um, so that's, that's the only reason why I would say the glow up for him, for me, uh, kind of touched more. I liked Matt too. For me, it was all about the fact that everybody else we knew had some level of power and we, we knew Matt was special because Moraine said he couldn't hold back the darkness without it, but we didn't really have what his power was until that point everybody else oh it. interesting right. i i hadn't put that together before you're you're equating him being a hero of the horn with being able to resist the the dagger well and makes i sense. thought yeah. i honestly yeah. thought we were going to get a whole aspect of him like get, yielding to the dagger not yielding to the dagger yielding to the dagger i thought that was going to be a thing that was going to go throughout the books like this uh, constant back and forth that he was going to end up doing and when he slid the dagger off the table, I know it's not exactly, my understanding is not exactly how it was handled in the books. 
but the fact that he was like, I'm going to outsmart this freaking dagger. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was, okay. that was such a clever move. It wasn't an angle I yep. saw. And, and the best part was it wasn't an angle Patton Fane saw because when he comes out the door, he's like, ah, he picked up the dagger and oh no, he didn't. Oh no. It was a beautiful moment. Like that, that confidence that Patton Fane was showing in the fact that like, ah, my plan were no, it didn't. <laughs> wasn't expecting the stick <laughs> i really loved that scene where he realizes he's a hero of the horn because through the entire show you know he's hearing nothing from anybody except that how much of a fuck up he is like his mother's a shit to him you know he he has all that time in the prison cell where the entrant is telling him that his friends have forgotten him because he betrayed them and then he has to deal with you know ishmael's vision shamael's vision which the problem i had with the shamael's vision is the fact that it was always him and in the cycles like nobody else in their previous life has been them so when he was seeing all of those images of him doing all these horrible things it was always matt it wasn't a previous version of matt it wasn't a previous turning of the wheel of matt it was Matt. And so that was more multiverse-like level type of stuff than it was. It was more, this is what you could become. And not, but you've been this now. horrible thing every time. Look, you were horrible in your last turn of the wheel. You were horrible in the turn of the wheel before that. And so that, I believe that also gave him something to draw on. Even when he says it, he's like, look, I haven't turned to the dark side in all these previous times. Um, I, I mean, actually... Um, uh, Ran gets that moment where he's like, I haven't turned to the darkness on all the previous times. Why would I this time? And Matt kind of was able to have a similar thing. Uh, but we we know with with like hindsight now that that everything that Ishamayel showed him was bullshit. But he didn't know that when he was going through it. He just knew how painful it was. And if you look, think about his relationship with his friends, even the people who love him. Their way of showing that love is by doing things like giving him money to buy lanterns for his his sisters. Like even because they a fuck know up. that he's he's the the town screw up. Yeah, but the thing is, is they're happy to take his money in the gambling, but they'll give him back because they know what he's going to spend that on. If you had if you won the gambling, you just drink yourself into a stupor and you you'd probably do something stupid. But I'm going to take all your money in the gambling. I'm going to give you back enough so you can buy those lanterns. And the, the thing for me, the reveal with the horn, the reason why I, I messaged Rourke and, and told them that I had tears in my eyes at that moment is partly because for people who've been told they're a, a screw up, and I am one of those, um, especially go into the life of an actor. You'll get told by everybody you're a screw up. To get that moment of confirmation that we don't get, you will never know until your time is done whether or not you were a screw-up, whether or not you had impact. Sometimes people don't even realize impacts they've had, good things they've done. It just doesn't even... He got a moment that people who are told they're screw-ups don't get of, no, we're confirming right here and now. There is no question. You've been an amazing, wonderful piece of this battle. And it's something that, that somebody who's told they're a screw-up never gets. Yeah. You put it really well there. The it's a confirmation that so many people want and very few people ever get. Yep. And yeah, I I definitely had tears in my eyes at that point as well. It's, I mean, I I doubt anybody here didn't. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And then to see Uno come back too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'm going to to tell you guys something. Um, it has been confirmed by Rafe now. When I first saw Uno as a hero of the horn, I immediately turned to Madeline and said, Did they just imply that Uno is Geidel Kane? And you got you have never heard the name Geidel Kane before. Nope. Geidel Kane is one of the other heroes of the horn that we that we've heard some stories about in this world. Uh Geidel Kane is known for being short, being unbelievably ugly and for fighting with two swords sounds familiar i don't know about the ugly part i but, wouldn't uh, say unbelievably ugly <laughs> and, and guidel kane is is uh linked to brigida silverbow in many of the of the legends and he was standing directly next to brigida silverbow when they showed up mm. and rafe has since confirmed that yes they are directly saying that uno is guidel kane reborn to the new turn so, of the wheel. Heroes of the Horn hopefully will will return and we'll get more Uno time, I hope. The horns vanished. I have two questions on that. Uh, from from the whole horn blow, and, and you can you know fill in what you are willing to fill in here. Um so one of the things, and I heard it mentioned on the podcast that happened is the horn was handed to the heroes of the horn so that he could then go fight. And then we never see him get that horn back. So I don't know if the horn is now gone. It disappeared with the heroes. It's going to show up again somewhere. We don't know the history, the, 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 what has happened to the horn since its recent uh, usage. But I also was curious in that same way where Uno came back uh, because he was already a hero of the horn and recently died. I would imagine that that grouping was the people who are currently not in this wheel turning showing up as the spirits of their most recent wheel turning or whatever, or their most popular way, mm -hmm. which right. means there are still heroes of the horn who are currently in the world who maybe heard it and couldn't teleport there. So I have a theory that we're going to see people who are currently alive reincarnations of the heroes of the horn who couldn't show up for that that are going to be moving their way towards them because it called all heroes of the horn. The only ones who could show up immediately were the ones who were dead. So, so like a three wise men seeing the star over Bethlehem kind of situation. Yeah. Interesting. Uh. If Matt got his knowledge of who he is, did some random fisherman go, Oh my gosh, I'm this hero of the horn and like start saddling up a horse and like, I have to ride. I, you don't understand. I now have all this knowledge. The horn was sounded. So then they get to keep that memory. Like Matt recognized that he's a hero of the horn. Rand remember starts remembering his past lives as the dragon. Does that fade after the battle's over and the horn returns to wherever it came it came from? Or do they get to keep that? Now he remembers all his past lives. Because it also how much did he get? Did he get just the fact like a generic, or did he with some weird eidetic memory? be flooded with all of those previous lives. I think he got more of just a general concept. I have never chosen the dark side in the, all the turnings of the wheel. Yeah. So he knows that much. Well, but he knows that <laughs> from history, lot. right? <laughs> we know from history that if he had ever chosen the, the to side with uh, the dark one, then the wheel would have been broken. So we know the fact that the wheel is still turning that he has not. 
Yeah. Due to the due to the fact of existence, <laughs> we know that he has not done that. Fair enough. I'm I'm loving these thoughts. These are great. Oh thoughts. yeah, your your idea about the the heroes of the horn that would show up later, man. I, I love that idea. <laughs> just, just random people just keep throwing showing up through the next eight seasons, going, "Hey, <laughs> I heard you I heard the horn." And, and they also <laughs> I heard the horn. The beautiful part is they could be from anywhere. They could be an Aiel. They could be a Sean Chan. Like, but that sudden memory of like whatever life you're leading, this isn't the one you're supposed to be. You are now called by the horn. I'm liking that idea. The, the whole uh, some fisherman suddenly like, wait a minute, I'm Arthur Curry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and all of his friends going like, you're what now? <laughs> yeah, they're going to come some some guy that's tossed in whatever the version of a padded room is. Like, no, I'm Arthur Curry. <laughs> no, we don't pay attention to him. <laughs> I'm kind of imagining Lord, like a minor bureaucratic functionary. Look, I need some paid time. I need some paid time off. I need a leave of absence. I'm going to go and be a hero. There's <laughs> However, on what Siobhan said, I do like the idea of there was at least a knowledge of those times that he said no, because it wasn't said in a, well, obviously history has shown. It was said in a, I can vaguely remember this conversation and I know my answer every time and it has not changed. I want to know if any of the other um, known characters in the show all of a sudden have past life memories like we know that matt and rand do do Egwene and nynaeve and you know all the rest of them suddenly start remembering things about previous incarnations do you want me to answer that sure <laughs> no ah okay I, I was gonna pose the theory and i i think this uh Rourke just kind of confirmed my theory uh Matt seems to have come from being the person to blow the horn. Uh, Rand's, again, I think came from his being in that conversation and remembering that conversation before. Like that, he's been, he's been kind of dipping into that. Nobody else uh, has had a moment where they've had to do something that they did in the previous life. God, I hope that does not happen to Egwene in every turning of the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no shit. That's a subtle signal there, Rourke. <laughs> Touching the side of your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Touching the side of my nose slyly was just saying, yes, you're absolutely on, on the correct path there, DW. That's kind of where, where their individual memories are coming from. So is it fair to say that while they're all Taviran, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're heroes of the horn? Correct. So the only one of the current Taviran that we know that's a hero of the horn is Matt. And Uno. Well, I, I do we did we consider Uno a Taviran before he uh, bit down on that spike? Oh, oh was he a Taviran? No, he was exactly. not a so Taviran. No, of the no. Taviran that we've been introduced to, the only one that was a hero of the horn was Matt. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the <laughs> answer out there. Is so that much more than you're, you're scratching at a door, DW. You're scratching at a door. <laughs> that, that was another one of those. How much do I say? I think I just say nothing. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the fair. one that I wonder about for a past life is Elaine. Like, not necessarily that she's going to remember anything, but just the, the way that Rand looked and recognized her, looked at her and recognized her in that moment suggested to me that she's got more importance than just being a 
a new character of the crew. So when he was looking up at her and watching the sun shining through her hair, that's that scene. Very, okay, yeah. That very significant kind of like gold tinted. Yeah, I would much rather that be the case because I saw that scene and all of a sudden the dream weaver. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, don't give him another love interest. Come on. No, of course not. Wait, you don't want Rand to have another love interest? He's only had two so far. He's getting way yeah, he, too much action. He, he isn't like... I guess we we could go the direction. I I recognize that this is uh, breaking a lot of the boundaries that uh, are often held in these kinds of stories, and uh, so I mean, polyamory definitely deserves its place. I feel the succession of how quickly this is happening without resolving any of the other ones would be a bad example of polyamory. Yeah, that's just serial many monogamy. Of these people are just attracted to him because he's the dragon. He's got this big. <laughs> Well, <laughs> a big what? A, a big what, Siobhan? Continue, please. Uh, I, I will. For those listening, the gesture was above and behind the head, not anywhere else. She was gesturing up here. I, I, I think the direction you were going there was maybe big ego, big aura. I was going to big aura, yes, big aura. Big, big, like he's he's got this metaphysical attractiveness thing going on because he's the dragon and he's like magnetic. Yes, <clears throat> but in that scene, it wasn't Elaine looking at him and seeing the sun happen to be shining behind him while he's lying on the ground. It was him looking at her, which which is more so used in in film for an attraction to that person. So it would be from yeah. Rand's point of view, him finding her attractive. And I'd much rather David's uh, uh, belief in it is like that it be somebody he's recognizing from a previous turning or there's some aspect of, no, this is one of those Taviran that's supposed to be with us or something along those lines. Especially where, you know, right now he's remembering past histories and I now have this theory that the... um the source kind of has a memory attached to it. And whenever Rand touches the source and in a large way, he gets more memories from his past lives. But is he remembering Elaine as an ex in a previous life? There's that, but there's also who in the previous turn abandoned him and said, no, you do this on your own. Leading the uh, the Aes Sedai, how interesting would it be if she turns out to be the the real the the returning of the wheel, the reincarnation of um, I can't remember her name the the head the the uh, the head of the Aes Sedai back when we saw all the flashbacks. La Traposé. If if it turns out to be her, that could be some interesting things down the road of you abandoned me in the last life. Will you side with me this time so we can make this happen? Or her saying, I didn't abandon you. You went off and did something stupid. Will you please not do the stupid thing this time? Like, there's a lot of play that could happen <laughs> with that, with the other person being not just the head of the Aes Sedai, but the queen. Interesting. So you are theorizing that Elaine is the rebirth of La Traposé. I'm, I'm, I'm finding it a real interesting choice. I'm not saying that there's been seeded stuff. My brain just went, oh, that would be so interesting. Like, I, I don't have any evidence to, to back it. It's just a, a storyline thing that my brain went, ooh, ooh, that would be, 
that'd be juicy uh, future storyline stuff if that happened. Yeah, the idea that he recognizes her makes a lot of sense and would certainly, I think, be more realistic than yet another fucking love interest story. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you want to do polyamory fine, and I, we already kind of have it represented in the show, but in like more healthy ways. This is like, I think somebody said serial monogamy. This isn't even serial monogamy. This is, I don't want to be monogamous. I'm just going to go after this person. Then I'm going to go after this person. Okay, that person didn't work out. I'm going to go, but I'm not telling this person no yet. And I'm not really going to, you know, like it, it's it's convoluted and problematic. So, so I mean, without closure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we really think that Rand and Egwene, there's anything left there? With how many books there are and how much old love interests tend to come back in some way or another in a book series. I'm not opposed to it. I don't, I don't feel like they've had closure. So I don't know that the moving on is ready in the story yet. And the fact that Rand has seen a, you know, he's, he's seen a situation where they're married. They have a child for season one. Yeah. But, the the couple that was married and had the child were very much like the two rivers shepherd and healer. They're not those people anymore, right? That's true. How are you going to keep them down on the farm when they seem the bright lights of the city? Both of them have been through huge amount of growth, tremendously traumatic experiences. True. They're true. not the same people they were. I mean, they might try to have a relationship. They might be able to build yeah. a new relationship, but it's not going to be the one they had before. I want to look at this from each person individually. Rand. Do you think Rand still ha is holding anything for Egwene? I think he still loves her. I think he'll always love her. I don't know that they'll be able to have a relationship yeah. again. I think he always loves her. And if the opportunity, if there wasn't a war going on. The first thing he did when he found out that she was in prison was say, I got to go there. Like, I think, like, Rand has, like, Rand's journey has been kind of growth and becoming cooler. So... For him, I don't think there's anything that, that has happened to him that would prevent him from continuing on and wanting to continue on that relationship, right? Egwene, on the other hand, um, I think that like what she's gone through has very likely severed a lot of her connections to her old life. For one thing, she's been mourning him for eight months. Yeah, she thought he was dead and then he comes back and that's going to throw up all sorts of like complicated emotions. Emotions that often get misinterpreted and end up down a road that you then realize, oh, wait, no, we totally misinterpreted that that feeling. The only thing that I, I wonder with uh, how they're going to uh, have uh, Egwene deal with this is there are those that in dealing with trauma, going back to what is known is sometimes more comfort comforting depending on the person and how they're going to deal with it. And again, how his response is, if he is suddenly more supportive than he was in the previous time, if she sees that change in him, could they then take it down that road again? I'm not saying currently right now, if they were offered the option, would they get back together? I'm just saying, I don't think those arcs are over. We have not had the closure. So it cropping back up as an option down the road, I could see happening. I could see them trying to just go back to the way they were and having a really nasty break. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> this was, goes back to what Axel said, because that idea of uh, thinking, th like the, the, the weird feelings that are brought up because she's been mourning him, he is back, can be misinterpreted. 
so she could get back in. Like, clearly, I love him. And it's like, no, I just missed him. And I really, I don't love him in that way anymore. And that often, unfortunately, and I'm sure many of you have, have been through those moments where misinterpreted feelings became a relationship, became a, oh, yeah, this was a mistake. <laughs> Dick Craig is touching his nose. More than once. <laughs> no, sorry. I was trying to pick it, and I have poor depth perception. Bad, bad depth perception. <laughs> I was starting to think that everybody here just started taking up skiing or something. <laughs> a lot of white powder. Do you know what the street value of this yeah, mountain yeah. is? <laughs> oh, God, DW, that's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I have never run into anybody who quotes from that. Sorry, people, what was the name of the movie? Better Off Dead. Dead. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, we talked about Rand and, and Egwene there for a bit. Let's talk about Perrin. Perrin this Good season. Good boy. Good. Um, yeah. Last season, we just saw Perrin dealing with trauma all season long. Um, this season, we finally saw him kind of coming to terms with his trauma and, and finding some new things about himself. What, what do we feel about Perrin's journey this I want to start actually with a question for you, Rourke. And I, if you said this already, I listened to the podcast. I may have missed it. Again, I was driving. Um, and, and unfortunately, I really should pay attention to the cars more than the podcast. And sometimes I miss things. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think you said this. When we saw the whole situation with his wife and him killing his wife, and, and you, one of the things you said a lot in that is, I know this didn't happen in the books, but I understand why they did this to create this development. What was the circumstance that he is, because clearly they're not going to put it in the show, so it doesn't hurt us to hear about it now. What was the circumstance yeah. that put him in this mindset in the books? Um, I've I've said it in previous episodes. He, he accidentally kills a white cloak. Oh, got it. That okay. creates, you know, in him, this whole, oh my God, I'm a murderer kind of thing. And so it escalates it up for it to be his wife. Yeah, for it to be his wife and it to be very clearly an accident and Instead of somebody and, who was already being aggressor. Yeah. Yeah. And and there are also some other um character traits that he develops later on that if if it's his wife in that situation makes those character traits later on make a lot more sense. Well, on on the note of his arc, I enjoyed his arc. Um I enjoyed the concept and we kind of talked about this, I know, in early podcast episodes, uh, the difference between using the source and other things that go on in the world. So him being what he is, is not necessarily related to the source. Um, is it parental related? Is it, is it just randomly some people turn out to have this aspect to them? Like, what, what is the, I don't feel that was covered in the show. Um, I, it's not really covered in the books either. It seems to be just like randomly as the pattern needs them, they show up or maybe it just kind of, you know, it's extremely, like you said, random, gene. randomly sprinkled, randomly sprinkled and throughout time. So it could well be that but, it's yeah. that it's, it's, a, it is a component of one's soul. So, and you don't know what body a soul is going to get. Uh, so any turning is get that reattached one becomes to. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wherever they end up, and then the universe says, "Here, boy." <laughs> 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 I did like the idea that they knew about him before he even knew what was going on, and we we'd seen the the wolves react and stuff like that. So it was 
it was interesting the idea that I mean we we said early on that I uh, I was one of I think there were a couple of people when the the hand licking happened early on that was like oh no that's that's they're they're good boys they're they're his his side and that was one of the things that was kind of being questioned in that first encounter with wolves like no no they're 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 helping yeah yep. I was yep. just wondering if it was like an affinity to all wild animals or just wolves so I got my question answered wolf brother kind of simplifies yes. that yeah <laughs> i love the idea though of they communicate literally with that that site and and it, the site takes you towards where the downed gazelle is if you want to eat yeah. like it was I, that's kind of cool i like that and i loved how they did that also in the books it's like they kind of you know visually project into each other's heads you know it's like in your mind's eye not actually physically in front of you it's just in your mind's eye but you know how do you represent that in the show so i liked the way that they did it just kind of like you know show show the vision over like an ar simulation yeah. <laughs> over what you're actually seeing and it it worked i loved it well, it, it went so beautifully to those moments where he saw the people who were there before and then they weren't actually there so he was reacting yeah. to the AR that nobody else could see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the other yeah. wolf brother is like, yeah, yeah, I know. I haven't taken your goggles off yet. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't let anybody else see that you're seeing those goggles. Like, they don't know about them. Speaking of the other wolf brother, um, I want to hear some some theories on Elias. What, what do we think about Elias? I'm really hoping we see more of him. He's an interesting character. Oh, yeah. I, I, I want to see you theorize about his past. Where where does Elias come from? What's oh. it, it? It it could be anything because he he's become you know this tracker and this you know person who has the behavioral characteristics of a wolf. But he also could have been an aristocrat. Could have been anything. Mm. He does mention that he missed Mrs. Beer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And looking at it from a story standpoint, that's one of the more interesting choices is to have him have flipped his life so much. Right. To go from like living in fineries and stuff like that. Now he eats uncooked meat in the forest with his brothers. You know, like. Well, the, the, the clue that he misses beer maybe kind of points away from that. He could have been just a working class schlub. You know, it seems like the, the aristocrats might be more wine people. You know. Yeah, aristocrats tend to be more wine and brandy, I would say. I, yeah. I, I would tell you that aristocrats still may have people within them who like beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're the black sheep, which is, uh, you know, if you are the person who's like hearing wolves howl in the middle of the night, you probably already were the black sheep of the aristocratic group. Like you probably were the person, like I never had a taste for wine. I mean, all, all my family drank wine, but really I had my first sip of beer. So, so if a wolf, if a wolf brother is a black sheep, that means they're literally a yes. wolf. Yeah. <laughs> I okay. thought that's right. where Just you were going. Making with that. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the wolf brother, the, the whole thing, wolf brother, like, uh, like you said, wolf brother, it, it is what it sounds like. Uh, did that, Kind of explained to everybody. Did you kind of oh, all yeah. figure it out? Very self-explanatory. You're still going to have pack rules. You're still going to have the concept of that grouping. And I feel like that was what was running around was Elias's pack. And there are probably other wolf brothers, possibly two in a pack. Or like, I don't think it needs one wolf brother per pack. But there clearly is like a, a pack mentality. 
And I feel like uh, Hopper was kind of saying, I want a parent in my pack. Like that's like, that was kind of the vibe I got with like, no, I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah, no, no I, because that kinship that was already felt and the, the beauty, the sad beauty of the idea of like, we know about your wife. You've been projecting her into all of our heads when you sleep. Oh, I mean, it, it tells you at the same time that he's been dreaming about it still, that it is not out of his head and he is putting himself through it every night. But by effect, he's causing the whole pack to join him in that pain. Oh, tugged hearts. So he's got that. He's got that brotherhood. You know, I, I have to say, I'm not sure how much brotherly I would be feeling in that situation. I'd be like, dude, you're, you're projecting your trauma at us for eight hours a night, every friggin' night. It's kind of getting, go to therapy, man. Go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, but what's therapy for a wolf brother other than projecting it to other wolf brothers' heads? That's the therapy. Right. Group therapy. There you go. <laughs> it is one of those things that you mentioned Robert Jordan wanted to touch on with uh, soldier life, though, that shared trauma situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Brothers in arms. Yeah. Well, the reason that Hopper... You, um, I mean, it's explicitly stated that Hopper also lost a mate. So, like, yeah. the reason Hopper bonded so heavily with Perrin is because they shared that experience. Yeah. Perrin needs pause. a pack. Perrin needs his own pack. I, I still want to know what Hopper's real name is. So, in the books, they explain kind of how the wolf names work. Hopper is just kind of the anglicized, this is, this is how we, you know... The actual wolf's name is something, you know, it, it goes on for paragraphs. It's like there is a, another wolf by the name of Dapple who was in that same pack, but it's not really Dapple. It's like the light of the full moon as it passes through the trees across a lake and the light pattern that it creates on the surface and the mist that rises in the air and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we, well, it's a dappled pattern. We'll go with Dapple. You know, so so it, it it's you know the the actual name is like a paragraph long of this like beautiful like series of haiku descriptions of something, and we just shorten it down to one word. So yes, it's the oversimplification of something that would be very very descriptive, and I stand by my statement. I still want to read that paragraph that is Hopper's real name. <laughs> what the, what he's jumping at, like all of that. There's so much going on, and it, this is a compliment to the to the cinematographers of it. The 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 uh, people who designed that scene is there was a bit of joy and playfulness in it. Like there was more to it than just hopping. And so I I I do love that. I kind of got that vibe that there's more to the name, especially from his response. Well. Yeah, I guess that'll do. Close enough. From, from <laughs> yeah. what I recall of Hopper's full name, there is a description of a young pup in wheat fields watching the eagles fly overhead and trying to jump and join them and, and you know, the summer sun in the air and, and blah, 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 and butterflies or something. But yeah, it, it the, the basis was a young pup running through the, the fields trying to jump and join the eagles. And nice. It's better Hopper than Jumpy Boy. Yeah. <laughs> no. You know, Jumpy Boy works too. I kind of, yeah. I kind of dig Jumpy Boy. Who's a Jumpy Boy? Who's a Jumpy Boy? <laughs> I and I kind of loved the the going away of Hopper, the passing of Hopper, being that he kind of got to join the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I screamed at that point too. They killed Hopper. <laughs> like, 
bastard. I winced at the killing of Hopper. I screamed at Perrin for like, no, don't do that. (laughs) Well, to be fair. (laughs) You were this close to having a white cloak that was going to be on your side. And I thought that, thinking from the story aspect, I thought that was a really interesting concept to have one guy on the other side who's like, well, I know those people aren't bad. I believe what we're doing but I know those people and I know that they're not trying to be evil would be an interesting concept. But now that he's going to want Perrin's death as much as anybody and nobody's filling out the true story of what happened there. It's like, Oh, Oh, so, so just think about this. Like Perrin is just setting up the white cloaks to hate him. I mean, he's already got Valda on his case. Yeah. Then he goes and gets Dane Bornhold on his case. Like, like what, what, what is he going to trip across next and get another white cloak? At him. Well, and it gives Dane and Valda a reason to see eye to eye, which is one of the things I didn't uh, want to. Yeah, happen. that's true. Now they that's get to true. agree Common on something. Enemy. It's like, oh man, but they were so like already at arms against each other. Valda didn't have the pull that Dane did. Yeah. I like Dane is not a villain, and I think this got to take him down the villain track, though. Now they're gonna share. You have killed my father. Prepare to die. Inigo Montoya. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's great. Yeah. Back after Perrin. <laughs> <laughs> Perrin is the six-fingered wolf. <laughs> is, is the Dane thing, is he going to, is there is there going to be some subtlety to that, or do we think it's just going to be straight up, you killed my father, prepare to die? Oh, there's going to be some subtlety to it. Uh, he's going to, you know, ha- having introduced him as somebody who has some sympathetic, uh, you know, some sympathetic qualities, Unlike Valda, who has none, there is a chance for some growth on his part in understanding and maybe hesitating just a little bit if he comes across Perrin. So that 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 hesitation would be, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe he's a wolf brother that he, he doesn't know yet. And if he can that see would be weird. from the perspective, <laughs> if he could see from the perspective of Perrin, like what exactly happened there, you know, all he knows is that Perrin was there when his father died and he made that, uh, that leap. Um, if he could but see Perrin what actually happened. also saved him. Yeah. Don't forget, Perrin saved him from Avienda killing him. So yeah, if he could see what happened, then that might, uh, that might get him some some points but i mean at the same time perrin killed his father with an axe to the chest right but greg talking about the fact that if he was a wolf brother he could see exactly what happened and understand what that wolf meant to perrin i fail to see any other way that you can get that importance across to dane i the problem that i'm seeing is even if he stops and lets Perrin explain why he killed his father, well, he killed my puppy. Like that's that that's not going to carry the same weight to a non-wolf brother. So the only way that I can see him, and that's the difficulty of this, because Valda's never going to come out and be like, "Oh yeah, I killed his best friend a minute ago," and he just came out and he was angry. Or I was I was part of why he why the the leader killed your dad killed uh the his his best friend. Like Valda's not going to ever give any leeway on that, so I I fail to see the easy way for, uh, is it Dade or Dale? Dane. 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 I fail to see how Dane is ever really going to see 
through Perrin's eyes what happened without that wolf brother connection. Yeah. Dale Bornhold, he he's the uh he's the horse racer in the family. <laughs> Watch out for that wall. <laughs> wow, that was a not nerdy joke. <laughs> I contain multitudes. So so something that that just struck me that's interesting is the similarity in in uh the traumas experienced by Dane and by Perrin. Dane is traumatized by the fact that he saw Perrin swing an axe and kill his father, and Perrin is traumatized by the fact that he saw Perrin swing an axe and kill his wife. So they right. can both sit down yeah. over a beer and agree that Perrin's a horrible person with an axe in <laughs> yeah. his hand. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Really, the lesson here is, yeah, Perrin shouldn't be allowed near axes. <laughs> it's axes. <laughs> it's all the axes' fault. It's a cursed axe. People don't kill people. Axes kill people. It's the axes of evil. Oh, <laughs> even better than mine. I'm giving you that one. <laughs> that that kind of does bring back the the conversation he had with um, the one from the Tuatha on. Like, was your life better after you picked up that axe? Yeah, that's true. He's gonna give up axes and go to biting people. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's he's a wolf. That's so, what I'm saying. He's going to lean yeah. in, like fresh, uncooked meat, just bite people. Don't pick up axes. Bite their faces off. So so Perrin is the wolves biting people's faces off party candidate? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> he's a true believer in that. So, okay, I guess uh, the last person that from the EF5 that we need to, sorry, not the EF5, the, uh, what did we decide? True Rivers were? crew. Yes, the TRC. The TRC. The, the occasionally expanding True Rivers crew. We're going to find out that Elaine is from the Two Rivers. <laughs> the the uh, last person from the True Rivers crew we need, do want to discuss is Nynaeve. And the left leg of Voltron. What'd you say, Greg? <laughs> the left leg of Voltron. The left leg is the yellow robot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the the whole concept of of immense power but no ability to control it. Um, and and that whole concept. Like I, I listened to you guys talk on the podcast about how much uh Egwene did not use her hands to channel. Like it was from the chest that she would channel. But like it makes me wonder if uh, Nynaeve is going to have a different way to channel because, uh, like the the ways that they're trying to teach her don't work. There's there's too much power. There's no ability to control it. And I actually kind of wanted to see when she leaned into the wisdom, uh, like when when Elaine tells her lean into what you know is a wisdom. I wanted to see a bit more of like wisdom impressiveness than just oh let's push the the arrow through. Um, I would have loved to have seen like some heavy, like, oh, that's what a wisdom is because we've had, we've had a lot of like talk about this amazing role without a lot of demonstration other than the ceremony that Egwene went through. Um, and then we've seen her clean the cave like that kind of all we've seen. It seems more to be a, uh, like a keeper of the folk, the folklore, the folk wisdom, the folk medicine, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if there's any particular powers, uh, source powers type thing to do with wisdoms. It's like just, uh, you know, it, 
there's got to be there's got to be something there, but I don't know what. I feel like yeah. in that scene, it would have been more impressive for her to pull certain herbs out of her bag that would make it so that she was able to walk with the the wound or something like. Yeah, like her being able to do something other than just push Agreed. the arrow through, I felt that was not the strongest like example of here's a. I can imagine random person going, "Well, there's an arrow in your leg. Let's push it through." Like I, I, that didn't seem like the almighty wisdom of a wisdom. Um, so I would have liked to have seen more on that. You, you wanted a poultice, God damn it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, or a split even like, so like, Oh, I know how to do this thing that nobody else does. Um, but cause, because what I'm trying to understand with her character and the feel, the answer that I don't feel we got in this season, I'm sure it's coming. You can't give everybody their, their complete glow up in, you know, an episode main glow up we got for uh, Nynaeve was that she is powerful. We have seen the power that she has. We also saw the power that Egwene has. And yeah. knowing that Nynaeve is more powerful is kind of like the, oh, would any of them still have been standing had Nynaeve been taken and put in that scene to do the air blast? Like, would they have just been like, it'd be a would crater. Would the city still be <laughs> exactly. standing? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, so I... Uh, I'm trying to understand, and maybe this will come in season three, how she's going to use the source as a wisdom. And I think that's what we're, we're needing still is there needs to be something unique about how she uses the source. And I think that's going to be tapped into her being a wisdom, which is why I really wanted to see a wisdom shine in a way that we don't see from other characters in this season. And I don't feel we got that. Unfortunately, she needs her trigger moment. I mentioned that and, in that episode yeah. too, I think. Even in her flashback, had we gotten when she goes back to the town and they've made somebody the wisdom that really shouldn't have been the wisdom? Like, had we seen her be able to walk in and go, No, you this is no, this should be this. And then she I mean, she demonstrates that she knows a little bit about the medicine, but not to the degree that I was looking for. You made me think of something. Um, you mentioned that Egwene doesn't channel with her hands. She channels with her chest. The times that we've seen Nynaeve channel, she does it with her head. Like when yeah. she heals everybody um, in the uh, the very first time that she, you know, they realize that she can channel, mm-hmm. her braids go flying out from the force of, of, of the channeling that she's doing. It's coming from her head. All of the training that she's been getting has been pushing her to use her hands and you see her when she's trying to channel and can't she's holding her hands out nothing's coming yeah so that that kind of emphasizes for me the fact that they are it's it's not that she can't do it it's that their training is not adequate for a lot for for teaching her how to tap into it Mm -hmm. i agree and i feel like the the difference that we get between Nynaeve and Egwene is Egwene while she doesn't channel the same way the training works for her she mm-hmm. understands those weaves with Egwene sorry with Nynaeve she doesn't even understand those weaves like she can't do uh, you know the the she she does it almost from an instinctual standpoint like when she sees um that one weave that throws her up against the wall and she like literally turns it right back it's more instinctual than oh I saw you use some fire and some wind and you did this and like she just went, you did this to me. I now do it back at you. But uh, Egwene's training doesn't work the White Tower weight, though. She has to be trained by the trauma before she gets her full intensity. So 
it's it's also proof positive that the White Tower's methods aren't necessarily the best, if effective at aren't all. Aren't universal. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like, you know, with the Shan Chan and the White Tower, the White Tower found a way to take people who have some access to the source and teach them to use it to the best of their ability. And the Shan Chan figured out a way to take people who don't really have great access to the source to control people that have access to the source and so that you can get that as a more of a weapon but Nynaeve and Egwene have such access to the source that those methods neither of them are going to work really well for them so i think the thing with the um the, the tower it, that, like that's that's going to school right that's a formal education which is something that you need to start pretty young Right. What we're seeing with Nynaeve and Egwene is that they have both already developed enough, enough knowledge that they can't go back to the 101 course because they because it doesn't match the like the methodology that they've developed. Right. It's kind of like, again, like, you know, if you take a mechanic and you send them to do basic physics, the thing it, to fix a problem, because they know how to fix problems, they can do the thing. So this theoretical grounding is really hard to get around and you can't teach them the same way that you teach a 10 year old. Yeah. Your, right? o- your only choice at that point is either to completely break what they've learned and then start yeah. over at 101 or what happen- find a new method. Yeah. And what happens with Egwene is that she is forced to learn very much kind of like you will use the source or you will be, or you will suffer and pain and, you know, survival instinct pushes her through it. And it's, that's not a good method. And, you know, it's a slave culture thing, right? So it's designed to fuck them up. Um, Nynaeve hasn't found a teaching technique because she doesn't fit any box that exists. And the tower is so inflexible, they can't change their teaching techniques. Yes. Yeah. They, they don't know. I mean, they've never had to deal with that before because they get people, they train them. If you don't match their training needs, they just chuck you away. And there's they haven't had to deal with anyone of significant power who doesn't fit in for such a long time. They have no, they, they've never had to worry about it. People that don't, you know, they're used to dealing with kind of like, let's say, you know, your reasonable level students. And now all of a sudden they've got Albert Einstein and they have no idea how to handle that. So they don't. I think the only reason they didn't catch them as early is because two rivers. Like mm-hmm. had they been somewhere that people had access to, they might've found them sooner but the fact that it was this way out of the way town, nobody expected somebody with power to come from there. Nobody's looking for anybody there. That's uh, and and Aes Sedai clearly are not overly welcome there. Um, mm. And the Aes Sedai are used to taking in nobility, mm-hmm. right? All all important people that have any degree of channeling go. So what we're seeing here is essentially a a um a commentary on education, paid education. Right. Um, And how that results in, you know, idiots like Donald Trump being able to get a degree from Yale. And really, really (laughs) smart people can't even get to community college. I bet Jordan did not know he was writing class warfare propaganda in his book. Well done. (laughs) So much better than Tolkien. I think Rourke would put forward that Robert Jordan did know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he was definitely the the difference in in class is something that he intentionally put in there. Yeah. Okay. So I have, I have a question for you though, Rourke. Um, mm-hmm. On this, uh, have we established that Nynaeve is more powerful than Ran? Oh. We have not established anything of that sort. Okay. No. So there's been no comparison because part of me is like, 
if she's more powerful, but it takes the dragon to be able to do this, then has there ever been anybody else in the turnings of the wheel that was more powerful than the dragon? Hmm. That, that, that is my, that is my response. <laughs> hmm. huh. I'm so sad. Simon's not here. Cause she'd have the mask out for the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> So the legends haven't touched on that, though. We haven't heard anything in the legends of somebody being more powerful than the dragon. Uh, no. Okay. No. So if it is true, if that is something, then as far as the former age, the age of legend is concerned, that's something that's been forgotten. Um, so, oh, how much of that do I want to say? I don't think I want to say any of it. Um, <laughs> You yeah, missed you, me, you, Ruark. You missed me. No, wait, I love this. I love this because you guys get so into the the theory, and I'm like, oh yes, this is the stuff I love talking about. And then I'm like, wait, there's stuff I can't say yet. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting thoughts, DW. Interesting thoughts. <laughs> when are we doing that spreadsheet to find out things that have been revealed that people got right? Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I want to know how I did. So uh, we're we're running low on time here, but I think before we we leave, let's talk about the Aiel for a minute because uh, we didn't talk about them last episode very much. And now that we have more experience with the Aiel, what are we thinking? Their culture is fascinating. Yeah, I, I want to know like, so much more. I, I uh, just it was very interesting to see them introduced, but I I loved. The introduction because we we've seen them and we've heard them and we had the fight that was amazing and like there's been some amazing stuff that that showed them, but showing her in the cage and then her getting out and him like get behind me and her just giggling at that concept (laughs) (laughs) was beautiful and watching her just like own everybody and the thing is the white cloaks knew because they didn't have this like oh this is gonna be like oh no. Oh, she's out of the cage. Oh, damn. We lost eight people the last time she got out of the cage. Like, there was that knowledge that this person knows how to fight. You know what I would have loved in that scene is Perrin and Avienda both get ready for the fight, and all the white cloaks rush in, and they all just rush right past Perrin. He's just standing there like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) One guy turns around, we'll get to you. I, I wanted to see at least one guy you know, go, you know what? Fuck this. It's not worth it. <laughs> Put the sword yeah. down and just say, I quit. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I saw what she did last time. <laughs> it was so interesting to see into that culture, though. I mean, we got her life debt, essentially, to uh, which, you know, the the Chewbacca uh, Wookiee life debt kind of came to mind. <laughs> um, but we, we, uh, we see that life debt come out. We see her t- get jumped in forgiveness of her actions being why they lost uh, a member of their group. Um, Like some of the, some of the cultural things and then like their view of water when they saw that lake. That that was the ocean actually. But isn't it a bay? I thought it was a bay. Well, yeah, well ocean, a bay of the ocean. Cause I think I think there's going to be an even worse one when they have the moment that from like 180 degrees of the horizon is water. That's a different reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this it's was still just as large for, as being in the desert. I, I would put forward they might have thought that was the ocean. Like, oh yeah, I could see the land on the other side. Of cl- clearly, this is the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was. It was. They've done a beautiful job. The the hand talk is amazing. 
Um, oh, I'm yeah. currently delving more into sign language. Uh, my son uh, showed an interest in it. So we're starting to, to work on, on keeping that as maybe a second language for him as he grows up. Um, and so seeing that was interesting. Seeing the video, I think one of you guys posted in the chat of the explanation of where some of the signs came from and what they mean mm-hmm. in actual sign language and watching how they adapted from sign language for that was all oh, how they created new words that don't exist yeah. in current sign language. All of that's so interesting. So I'm looking forward to more. What interests me about this is it appears that we have a, a society and a culture that is almost entirely based on their living situation and the space that they live in and the difficulty of maintaining life in that desert land where you have everything's built around water and sharing and being indebted to someone who helped you survive, essentially. It's, it's kind of a unique concept. It's, it, it seems like they have a lot of incredibly formal rules around you know, life death. You would and, have to. And, like, it, I, I would think yeah. about like if you crash landed on, a, on an island and you have a few people there and you have to survive together the first thing you have to do is come up with what rules govern you because you're now in a different situation than you were before and you have different needs and you have specific needs that help you keep sur- able to survive. I have a slightly different take on the life debt in the fact that I don't think it's just somebody helped you survive. I think it is more based in the idea of in that kind of society, if helping somebody would lose my own life, then I'm going to not help them because I need, like, it, it, you, you have to logically think out who you can help. So when somebody goes into a situation where they could lose their life and they save yours, then your life becomes theirs. Like that you shouldn't have saved me. Like logic dictates that it would have been wiser for you in your situation to save yourself. Not in a harsh, not in a like every man for himself kind of way, but in a, you you probably shouldn't have done that. And the fact that you did it and succeeded, that's huge in that kind of culture. I would love to go into, they call it a threefold land? Yes. Um, I would love to go and see them at home. I'd love to see the whole societal structure. It's interesting to me how the warrior part of it got built into it. Because that's not as much based on survival unless they were attacked at some point in time. Well, it it could be very related to survival between tribes, for example. You have limited resources. Um, You have to protect, like if you have an oasis, you have to protect it from everybody else out there in the desert. And with Aiel, I mean, I know we don't know this, but the thoughts that I'm having, so I'm not asking you to answer this, Rar. Um, I wonder if there are tribes within the Aiel that don't get along. I wonder if there are non-Aiel people who live in the threefolds lands who cause problems for the Aiel that the wetlanders don't even know about because they're a problem for the Aiel. And like, what do the wetlanders care about the Aiel's troubles? Like the Aiel's are their troubles. So they don't care if somebody's wiping them out. Hmm. Good question. Thank you. And the Aiel's could just be the ones that are known because they're sort of on the border. You know, there's, there may be things deeper in the desert that, like you said, the wetlanders wouldn't even know because it's they only affect the Aiel. 
and I want to see the culture. I want to see how the the house life has been. I mean, they've they've set up this beautiful um, concept for how they are as warriors. I want to see how their society, and that's going to be really interesting because it feels like this is probably already been gone into in the book. So it's something that's already flushed out. This is information. It's not. I less want to speculate on how they're doing it, but I want to see what Robert Jordan did to flush that out if we ever get to see that. All I can say is I cannot wait to get to the point when we can flush all of that out because I, I have said jokingly in the past that I have a PhD in Jordanology. If I did have a PhD in Jordanology, my thesis study would have been on the the culture of the IEL. But that gives me hope that it's there. Yes. <laughs> that gives <laughs> yeah. me that gives me that hope that knowing how much you know about the IEL and how when you talk about the IEL, you talk about them in the same way that somebody may describe a tribe from Germany from back in the, like you talk about, well, yes, this, this all makes perfect sense. You talk with that. So that tells me that it's been fleshed out in the books. It's not just Ruark fantasizing and, and coming up with, which I know you have the brain to be able to come up with a wonderful society, <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that that information already exists and we're going to get experience to it at some point. Uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. And I think with that, we can probably call this an episode. Uh, lots of good ideas, lots of really interesting theorizing. I love what you guys were thinking throughout this whole episode. And yes, I too can't wait until we can talk more in depth about the IEL. Season three, season three, <laughs> season three, season three. Already, already agreed to, right? Probably pushed back because of the yeah, yeah. Already season, filming. season yeah. three yeah. is uh, it, it's either done filming or very close to done filming. Nice. The the one thing about season three I can tell you is that uh, um, Tom has finished all of his scenes for season three. Yay! Ooh, Tom's coming back. I thought nice. might make some of y'all happy. I missed him this season. You know, favorite yes. character from the season. Yes. Favorite character missed. Yes. So, yeah, with uh, all of that discussion done, Greg, you want to take us out? Sure. First of all, we need to thank Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret Island headquarters. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Michael, thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Our benefactors. <laughs> and they're also the home to our sister podcast, Watch Party Lord of the Rings, a Watch Party of Ice and Fire, and Watch Party Gaming. Please rate and review us at iTunes. It helps us get out there. We want to spread the word. If you have, qu if you have any questions, suggestions, anything, email us at whatwatchparty at gmail.com. You can find all of our links at whatwatchparty.com. And now it is time for the final question. And that final question brought to us by, well, you, Greg. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> that question being, uh, we know about the existence of uh, Wolf Brothers. If you were in this world... What would your animal sibling be? Gotta say that if I had a choice, I would like to go with Bear Brother because the idea of hibernating through the winter is really because <laughs> 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 you really like salmon too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love salmon. <laughs> I have to go with uh, with raccoon. Uh, Raccoon Brothers, because I also enjoy shiny objects and <laughs> washing things that don't need to be washed. <laughs> I love it. You're going to have to get a lot more eyeliner. This is true. This is true. Or just a mask.
Yeah. Just um, your usual, you know, day after the goth club look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old to go to goth clubs. Are fictional creatures allowed? Uh, I mean, we're talking about a fictional world. What, so, well, that's yeah. the thing is I'm kind of hoping that at some point we're going to see more fictional creatures being that it is this uh, this mythical world. And uh, yeah, griffins. I would want to be a griffin brother. Um, especially if it in any way gives me aspect to fly. Um, but uh, yeah, big cat with wings, essentially. <laughs> Well, since Siobhan took mine, I'm now going through like the crap brothers and which which animal power do I want the most, and I can't come up with anything. <laughs> so, wild, wild, wild crats. <laughs> so I'll I'll go with the platypus, so I can put on a fedora and be a secret agent. There you go. Any poisonous barb in your elbow? Yeah, venomous elbows. <laughs> oh, um, actually, yeah, I know. For me, I was. Thought kind of cat and 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 I've got to say that there, there's a big temptation there, but really dragon and very specifically a bearded dragon. Yes. There you go. Mm. Okay. I have a beardy. I love it. Lying around in in, in the sun um, on a rock all day and occasionally like murdering a whole bunch of worms sounds great. <laughs> 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 I had a pet beard and 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 he was the best thing ever. We have one too. It's great. And does anybody have an idea for a final question? I do. Okay, what is it? Does the existence of Wolf Brother imply other brothers out there? Could there be a Squirrel Brother? And if so, what would you be? No, it's Squirrel <laughs> Sister because Squirrel Girl is going to be yeah. a crossover character. <laughs> <laughs> and she would, but she would be, too, she's too OP. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you can't introduce her yet. Everybody has to get their power levels up so we can bring in Squirrel Girl. You bring in Squirrel Girl, and she's just like, fuck you, Dark Ones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, she has all the powers of a squirrel and all the powers of a girl. I mean, come on. (laughs) She is one of the few Marvel characters to single-handedly take down Thanos, so yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, not single-handedly. No, she didn't single-handedly. She had her squirrels. She didn't have squirrels. An army of squirrels is not (laughs) single-handed. Exactly, exactly. How many hands do squirrels have? At least two. Yes, possibly four. Are are they hands? They can hold things, yes. They have have thumbs. Yep. All right. And cheeks. I mean, (laughs) single-cheekedly. Okay. Double so, cheekedly. I'm going to have to cut all of this out, you know. It's all right. We were talking goes, about the final question. This goes this in the gonna, blooper reel. Yeah. yeah. This, this goes on the Patreon. Uh, 